0: Good morning, my friends at Crossbridge. We are in Acts chapter 5. As our story continues, today we have a narrative of witnessing and persecution and joy. We're continuing in this ongoing story of the church unleashed. And today we see three things that go together. You may not think they belong together witnessing, Or preaching, you know, spreading the good news. It can be public or interpersonal. Uh, Persecution that follows that. Social ostracism, or it could even be imprisonment or flogging. We see that today. And joy. The three things go together. How about that? So... Now, our story of uh, witnessing and persecution may seem um, far off to you, to, to you here in modern America, 2021, uh, not that relevant. But you know, I know that you know this story is entirely relevant to many Christians, many parts of this world. This this is their story. They read this and they say, yeah, been there, done that. That's what happens. That's what it's like. Can I give you some statistics? These are from Christianity Today 2021, very uh, recent. Thirteen Christians daily are killed because of the faith. These statistics come uh, from an article, Christianity Today. They got the statistics from an organization called Open Doors. Twelve churches daily, or Christian buildings, are attacked. Twelve Christians daily are arrested or imprisoned because of the faith. The top ten worst persecuting, uh, persecuting countries are, can you name them? North Korea, number one. Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan. That's five of the top 10. China entered the top 20 list for the first time in a decade. The president of Open Doors, uh, his name is David Curry, says uh, regarding China, government as God is back small g, government as God, ruling, infiltrating, all pervasive influence, it's back in China. So our story today does not sound foreign and irrelevant for many, many Christians in the world today. Persecution is alive and well on planet Earth, and so is joy. David Curry, again, the president of uh, Open Doors, you may think that this list and these statistics are all about oppression, but the list is really all about resilience. The numbers of God's people who are suffering should mean that the church is dying. That Christians are keeping quiet and losing their faith and turning away from one another. He said, but that's not what is happening. Instead, in living color, we are seeing the words of God recorded in Isaiah. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Resilience, multiplication, growth in our passage rejoicing. Witnessing persecution and joy. Now, to bring it a little closer to home, before we get into the story proper, let me say that even here in modern America, greater Boston area, we, we touch the hem of this garment at times, this garment of persecution. We blush to call what we experience, persecution, but maybe we could call it something like social consequences for being a follower of Jesus. Can I read to you a transcript from a talk show all the way back in 2002, but it's relevant today, uh, almost 20 years later. I actually have read you this portion of the TV program a couple of years ago. Some of you may remember when we were uh, doing the book of uh, Mark. And Jesus was teaching on persecution. But in any case, this, um, this, uh, this exchange on a talk show is from the Phil Donahue show. And the guests this day were the president of the Southern Baptist Seminary, Al Mohler, and a Jewish rabbi, uh, Reverend uh, Rabbi Botique. And the exchange uh, goes like this. Donahue talking to Moeller. Do you believe Jews can go to heaven? Moeller. Southern Baptists with all Christians believe that all persons can go to heaven who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no discrimination on the basis of ethnic or racial or national issues. Donahue, you cannot possibly look a person in the eye and say, if you don't come to Jesus, you're not going to heaven. That reeks of prejudice. And Rabbi Boteek jumps in. Reverend Moeller, however intelligent of a scholar he may be, is a spiritual Neanderthal with repulsive, revolting views. Moeller. Well, all I know is that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ and that all who are there come by his grace and mercy alone. There's nothing in us to merit salvation. And so humility has to be the Christian posture. Donahue says, There is nothing humble about telling me I'm not going to heaven if I don't believe in Jesus. That's not humility. That's arrogance. Well, it would be if it were our message, says Moeller, but if that's what the Son of God said himself, then it would be hateful, it would be intolerant not to tell you what we believe to be the truth. I can't compel anyone to believe in Christ, but I do have the responsibility with gladness and joy to share this good news of the gospel. Donahue says, well, you can tell me about it, but you can't stand there righteously and tell me you know what's good for me. And you sure can't tell me that there's only one way for me to get to heaven. Nobody is that smart. Nobody. And the rabbi has the final word in this uh, exchange. You should be ashamed of yourself. And it's time you finally change. So, even in our time and place, there are social consequences. Call it persecution, if you will. And so, we also can touch the hem of this garment in our text today. All right, let's dive into the story then. Uh, let me just walk through it to show you this witnessing, and then the persecution, and then the joy that comes afterwards. We start uh, We start in the context, actually, back in chapter 4, verse 31. It says, They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's what we see, the witnessing. Just preaching the word, talking about the resurrection, talking about how they met Jesus, and he's alive. We see that to start our passage. Then, in the passage proper, which is uh, verse 12, verse 12, uh, the last part says, And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Solomon's colonnade. This was a large area of the temple grounds. You know, the temple itself was relatively small, but it was a big uh, open area with uh, different buildings and open uh, courtyards. And, and along the whole, let's see, it was the eastern side of one of these uh, of the temple environs. They called it Solomon's Colonnade. It's a beautiful area. It's shady. Uh, it has uh, three columns of pillars stretching the whole way. And that's where the church used to meet back here in the early days. Big outdoor space they could probably accommodate just about everybody in the church remember we're in the in the thousands now uh, by uh, the number of people who are believing in jesus and that's where they would meet and what did they do there verse 12 once again the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people and they would preach and teach there so in our imaginations Uh, We see Peter and the other apostles standing up to preach. And they're talking from the book of Isaiah. And they're showing how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament word. And then uh, he was resurrected because the psalm said, you will not leave your servant to decay in the grave. And they show how that was referring to Jesus. And they're preaching. Okay, thousands of people, Solomon's colonnade. And uh, there's other people, other, you know, the Jews walking by and mulling. Hey, what's going on over there? Um, and they they get a little closer and they're listening and maybe there are little side conversations that start taking place and the people are witnessing and witnessing and talking about Jesus and sharing the good news and then you have the, uh, what can we call it, the nonverbal proclamation through these miracles, healings and exorcisms and uh, this is a story of the spread of the gospel the church unleashed okay? then what happens persecution verse uh, 17 verses 17 and 18 then the high priest and all of his associates who were members of the party of the sadducees were filled with jealousy and they arrested the apostles and they put them in the public jail so imprisonment the persecution is heating up We've already seen the jailing of uh, some of the apostles in a previous chapter, and now it's happening again. They put him in the public jail. This party of the Sadducees was a small but very powerful uh, group of the Jews back in ancient Israel. The high priest would always, at this time, always come from the Sadducees. Who were they? Well, they were the elite. They were rich. They were educated. Um, They were kind of secular in their outlook. They, They were in league or partnered with Rome. They were sort of the puppet government for Rome. And they were kind of secular in their outlook. They didn't believe in uh, the resurrection of the dead and so forth. And so you can remember, that's why they were sad, you see. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. In any case, they're the, uh, the leaders of the council. It's called the Sanhedrin. They're the leaders of the council, and they put him in prison. Then what happens? A miracle. The angel of the Lord lets the apostles out at night. And they walk out. I don't know if the guards were asleep or I don't know. I don't know what happened. The the apostles were invisible or something, but they just walk right out. And the next morning they go to look for them and they're nowhere to be found. So what do they do? In obedience to the angel's command, verse 20, the, the angel said, go stand in the temple courts, you know, back to Solomon's colonnade and tell the people the full message of this new life. So, at daybreak, don't you love that? At daybreak, they're let out at night. Boom, the sun rises. Boom, they open up the gates of the, the temple uh, courtyard. Boom, at daybreak, they're back at it. Uh, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. Witnessing persecution, a miracle. Witnessing once again, well, you know what happens next, right? More persecution. Verses 25 and uh, following. Then someone came and said to the, the Sadducees and the, 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 uh, the council, someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. And at that, the captain went off with his officers and brought the apostles. He didn't force them because he, they feared the people uh, that the people would stone them. So, having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin. That's the council, a group of 70 uh, elders and teachers in, in Israel. Uh, they brought them before the Sanhedrin to be questioned at, uh, at, uh, by the high priest, who said, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. So the questioning, the social pressure, the... And remember, keep in mind um, the cultural context of this day. The apostles were just ordinary people, fishermen, you know, all this kind of stuff. And here's the rich, educated, the elite, the uh, positional authority. Remember, it was a very stratified culture and... uh, Boy, I bet it was an intimidating experience. Probably the apostles were lined up in front of them and the Sanhedrin is seated perhaps in a semicircle around them. So how did Peter and the others respond? Here it is. Verse uh, 29. Peter replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead. Boom, he goes right back into witnessing. He's on trial, but he takes the opportunity to spread the gospel. The God of our fathers, he includes them, our father's common ground. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Well, God exalted him to his own right hand as a prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things and so is the holy spirit you can tell by all these miracles i added that part and so is the holy spirit whom god has given to those who obey him all right what are we gonna do with these guys we put them in jail that didn't work we're trying to intimidate them but it's not working and so they are enraged, filled with jealousy. And they, they put the apostles out of the room. And one of their members, his name is Gamaliel, he's actually a Pharisee, not a Sadducee. The council was composed of both. And he stands up and he gives a speech and he says, Hey, just slow down, slow down. Before you kill these people, uh, who knows if they're actually acting in behalf of God and look if they're not if God is not leading them and giving them this message this movement will die out and he gives a couple of historical examples remember uh, just uh, like 30 years ago or so there was a guy named such and such it died out. there's another guy that it died out and so he convinces them verse verse 39 His speech, uh, verse 40, his speech persuaded them, so they called the apostles in, had them flogged, and they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. So now we see physical uh, persecution, flogging. This was not fun. It's a general word for flogging. It could have been the 39 lashes, just like they gave Jesus. It could have just been a a lesser kind of beating. Not sure what happened, but they flogged them. And this would have been done in public. Uh, So there's a shaming element as well, you know, a physical pain element. You may remember the movie uh, Master and Commander, it's about naval warfare in the early 1800s, Great Britain. And they used to use flogging pretty often as a typical punishment. A guy is flogged; It's in public. And that really adds to the shame and the disgrace of this event. Okay, so they're, so they're beaten, they're, they're flogged. And then what do we have in verse 41? The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Here's our joy. Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And then we go back to witnessing. Last verse of our passage, verse 42. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. And there you have it. Witnessing, persecution, and joy. Can I make a few comments about each of those, and then we'll wrap it up for the day? Witnessing. What did they witness? What was the content of their message? Well, I'm sure many things, including Old Testament prophecies and teaching and all of that, but the primary thing they were witnesses to like when you go into court and you're an eyewitness they were witnessing to the resurrection of christ he bodily came back to life we saw it we were there we our hands have handled we talked to him we ate together and they're just telling people i didn't make this thing up Uh, there were 500 of us at one time You you can talk to the other people there are lots of witnesses and not just a physical resuscitation, although that's plenty miracle enough. But what does it mean? It means God approves of him. He wouldn't let him you know, remain in the grave. He he has exalted him, and re- remember the ascension, and he is now seated at the right hand of God. And this is my Christ. This is my Messiah, my beloved Son. This is the Son of God, and we are witnesses. Of this won't you believe won't you turn to him turn from your sins follow him the bible says they witnessed with great boldness that's back in uh, the context chapter 4 verse 31 the word boldness is a key word in the book of acts and it's a key word in this concept of the uh, the church being unleashed the Greek word is parasia. if you're interested. And we see that word, I think it's 11 times or maybe it's 13 times in the book of Acts. They witnessed, they taught with boldness. They prayed for parasia. The apostle Paul in the, the epistles uh, three or four times says, pray for us that we would have parasia, that we would have boldness to proclaim the word of God. It means outspokenness, frankness especially in the presence of people of high authority. And so that's what we want. We want to witness with boldness. I know there's a time and a place, and I know there's a proper demeanor, and we're not cramming things down people's throat, but we need boldness. I need boldness. Do you? Look for the open doors. Nudge on the open doors. Pray for open doors. Would you like to pray For boldness, let's pause here. Heavenly Father, please give us, I don't know, the gift of boldness. Parasia, give it to us, Father, just like the apostles had. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Not done just yet. Did you think I was done? Let me make a few comments on uh, persecution also. And here's what I want to say about persecution. Jesus said it would happen. So the apostles should not have been surprised. I think they weren't surprised. And we disciples, we shouldn't be surprised. Yes, our Quote persecution is going to be different than if you live in India or you know these are, uh North Korea and so forth, but maybe we have social consequences. It's it's to be uh, expected. When did Jesus talk about this? Well, a number of times, including right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you. The, blessed are the meek, and blessed are, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for my sake. Yours will be the kingdom of heaven. So let's not be surprised. Jesus said it would happen. It happened to him, and we walk in his steps. And so persecution is part of the deal of being a Christ follower. How can we prepare ourselves for that? Because it could very well escalate in the United States in the years to come. How can we prepare ourselves? Well, mentally grab hold of the fact, (laughs) uh, own the fact, count the cost that Jesus said this would happen. It's not an aberration. uh, So we count the cost. Spiritually, we can uh, prepare ourselves for perhaps coming persecution by praying for paresia, praying for boldness, taking heart from stories like this, taking heart from Christians around the world. We stand united with them, and they're they're, uh, the pioneers for us. And so spiritually, we can fortify ourselves. And uh, also, we can uh, fortify ourselves socially by supporting one another, by meeting together, by praying for each other, sharing our stories. And so let's not be surprised, and let's... Uh, prepare our souls um, for social consequences, maybe even something like what other Christians in the world experience. Heavenly Father, help us to uh, be prepared. Give us wisdom. Help us to count the cost for our own social consequences in representing Jesus. And we pray for brothers and sisters that are, that are genuinely persecuted around the world. Help them, Lord. Stand with them. Give them miracles and deliverances. And give them strength to persevere unto the end. Amen. Almost done. Final word. Joy. Witnessing persecution and Joy. We are driven to it. It is, it is a basic need of humanity. We hunger for it. So, where does it come from? How were they rejoiced? They just got beat, 39 lashes or whatever it was. They were shamed uh, publicly and they went away with joy. How does that happen? Pray for this gift. It is a gift, it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, remember? the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, <laughs> peace, gentleness, patience, and so forth. Pray that the God, or that our God would give us this gift of joy. And remember also, maybe this will help with the joy, remember that when Jesus uh, said that his followers would be persecuted, he also said, great will be your reward in heaven. Can I read you a short passage in the the book of Luke? This is Luke chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. This is uh, our Lord Jesus speaking. Luke chapter 6, verse 22. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, and reject your name as evil. Sort of sounds like the the Donahue show. Blessed are you when they do that because of the Son of Man. Rejoice. And leap for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven. We need to learn to walk by faith, don't we? We're just, we're temporary citizens here. Our real citizenship is somewhere else, and so we can rejoice even uh, when the going is tough. Heavenly Father, may the joy of the Lord be our strength. In Jesus' name, amen.